Well, Merry Christmas uh, to those that are here, to those that are online. Listen, I know uh, this is probably not the Christmas we expected, uh, though we are still looking forward to it. I know for many of us, this is not maybe the Christmas that we wanted. Uh, It looks totally different this year than it ever has before in your life. I promise you that. Uh, I cannot ever think of a, of a more weird Christmas season than this, all right? And so I, I know the, that so many unexpected things, uh, even though we've had about 10 months now to gear up for it, I think all of us just kind of assume somehow all of this is going to be over by Christmas, everything's going to be perfect, it's going to snow, like this is just going to be fantastic, and Christmas is ending up to be different than it ever has. But here's what I want to promise you this morning. If we look to the right things then this Christmas season, we will be full of everything that we long for and desire. This Christmas and and what Christmas represents and the, the peace and the joy and the love that we long for and receive in Christ and Christ alone is not dependent on the circumstances that we face right now. And we can have complete peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because listen, I, I know that this looks so different. And as we finish up this Fruit of the Spirit series and, and, and our Advent series being combined with that, and we look at the peace of Christ this morning, uh, we're going to look in two different texts. It's not a typical uh, Christmas time uh, text, these two texts, but they are something that addresses a, 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 a very vital thing that we discover at Christmas when Christ comes. And so uh, go ahead and take your Bible out, look at John chapter 14, verse 25 to 27, just a couple of verses there, uh, and then put your finger in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. All right, so those are the two places, and I'll give you a second to turn there. And, and here's what I want to do this morning. I want it to be very simple. Uh, I, I just want to give us some simple truth and peace this morning, and, and I want us to see how we find, how we have true peace. What is true peace? How do we find true peace? And then secondly, how do we actually live in that peace? And so we're going to see how we have true peace in the book of John, chapter 14, and then how we actually walk in that peace, how we live in that peace every single day, no matter what is going on in our lives in Philippians chapter 4. And so as you're turning there, I want to read uh, Proverbs 12, 25 to you. Listen to this. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And listen, I know this morning that for so many of us, there's a lot of anxiety in our lives. There's a lot of worry in our lives. There's a lot of fear maybe in our lives. Even if we're actively fighting against those things, there's just a lot of anxiety in our lives. And and there's certainly a lot of anxiety in, as we'll see in just a moment, our world and and certainly in our nation. And so what I want to do this morning, as I said, is just give us a simple piece. And I want to give us a good news that will make our hearts glad. And so as we look at this gospel truth, if we receive it with all that we are, if we place Christ at the center of everything that we are, then there will be a peace that overruns all of the anxiety, the fear, the worry, regardless of what may come in the rest of this year, in next year, or what we have had to go through this year. And listen, the peace that we can have is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's what Christmas is all about. All right, listen to Isaiah 9, 6. It says that unto us a child is born, a son is given, 
and the government will be upon his shoulders. He rules and reigns over all things, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The peace that we are all searching for can be found. I want to pray before we jump in this morning. God, thank you so much for this time that we have together. God, I pray that you would just overwhelm us with your presence, with your joy, with your love, with your peace, with the reality, God, that you have done everything that is required for us to have life, for us to be satisfied, for us to have fulfillment, for us to have hope. You have come and you have lived and you have died and you have risen. You have made a promise that you will make all things new. God, we can live in that reality now and we can know what is to come later. And God, that is reason for rejoicing. And so God, this morning, I pray that our hearts would be able to live in this reality, that peace would flow out of who we are in you, and that we would be able to rejoice and give thanksgiving in all things, revealing that there is one who gives peace, and that we know the one, and that you have given peace to us. And so God, this morning and this Christmas season, I pray that you would just overwhelm us with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, so as I was thinking about this, there's, there's one thing that I can think of in my adult life that's not too serious and too revealing right up front for me to talk about that gives me a little anxiety, all right? And so um, I used to, growing up, the two cities I primarily grew up in uh, had theme parks, and so I used to go to theme parks all the time growing up, all right? And so I loved, when I was growing up, roller coasters, all right, anybody roller coasters still in your life? Okay, um, now I've, I've moved past that, all right, uh, but I used to love it. I would jump on the roller coaster. You know how when you enter into the park and you can see the roller coasters and you're already talking about which ones you want to go on, you're running to the one that you want to go on first and maybe most, and if the line's short, you go on it like 10 times in a row, right, and you're putting your hands up in the air, you're screaming, you're figuring out the first go-around where that picture is taken, so the next time you go around, you can, you know, do something something to look really cool with your friends, right? That, that, that was me. I wanted to do that. I show up at the theme park. I'm already thinking about the rides. I'm already looking at them. Uh, I'm figuring out the fastest way to get to them. Now, I've gotten older. Now, I could care less about the roller coasters, right? Now, now listen, I, I'm not saying that I'm afraid of the roller coasters. I'm not saying that I wouldn't go on a roller coaster with you. I'm not saying that I might not enjoy it. But what I am saying is, I just don't care. Like, I just don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, I remember last time that I went to a theme park with some of the younger people in our family. They wanted to ride the ride like 10 times in a row. We happened to find one that didn't have a long line. By the second or third time, I was just like, I saw an 85-year-old man sitting on a bench. That's where I wanted to be, Right? <laughs> And, and so now when I get on the roller coaster, I'm not as excited anymore. I'm not trying to lift my hands up. Like I, I literally, and I don't know if you have this thought with me, but when I get on the roller coaster now, I literally think to myself, if all of this goes wrong, like what do I have? Like how do I survive, right? That's my thought. And so I sit down, I act like everything is great. I act like everything is cool. I'm fist bumping the people that I'm with. And that harness comes down and I take a look around. I'm like, all right, if everything goes wrong, how do I live? Right? And you know that when you're on that roller coaster nowadays, especially you're not even sitting in anything. Your feet are dangling. Like some of them, they're just like inverting you. Like, I mean, it's just crazy. So you know, when you sit down, the only thing that you have is the harness. 
And, and so for me now, when I ride those roller coasters, I click that harness in and I look around, I see nothing else for my survival. And so I hold on to those handles tight the entire ride. Like if you see the picture of me afterwards, it's a straight face. I try not to look like I'm crying, but I'm just holding on. Right, Because I'm thinking to myself, I have some anxiety about the fact that I'm not in control here. I'm going for all of these loops up and down, side to side. My head's banging against the harness. And all I'm thinking about is, man, I don't want to be here. I have no control of this. If everything goes wrong, what is going to happen? And so I'm just holding on tight to the one thing I have the entire ride. The harness is the only thing that gives me a little bit of peace of mind. Right, just a little bit of peace of mind about being there. Okay, now, here's what I want you to think about this morning. When it comes to uh, your life, in relationship to your life, okay, if everything is going bad, like nothing's going right, everything is uncertain, every plan is going wrong, like nothing seems to be going the way that you think it should go, life is just absolutely confusing, what do you hold on to? What are you looking around in life and going, you know what, at least I have this. This is the one thing that will give me a little bit of peace of mind. And so what I'm really asking is, as you look at your life, what's the harness? What is the thing that you hold on to thinking, at least I have this? Now, here's the beauty of this question, because until 2020, for most of you, that was probably a hypothetical question. But because of everything that we've gone through this year, it's a question that every single one of us have had to face in our lives. The world is just throwing us for a loop, right? It's up and down. It's side to side. Everything is going different than we thought it would go. Every single one of us have faced fears we never thought we would face. Every single one of us has had some sort of kind of health anxiety this year. Some sort of fear maybe about the economy or policy or equality or our family or our work or school, for crying out loud. Like nothing has gone as planned. This time last year, everything in this room looked different. We were talking about all different kinds of things and visions and goals, and every single one of you had plans, and guess what? None of those probably happened. There's a whole lot of uncertainty. Your holidays look different. Church looks different. Like who would have thought last year that so many people would feel like, man, I've got to quarantine just so I can see my family. Like your days look absolutely different. Everything about life is different. And in many ways, we have been forced in our lives by our circumstances to grab hold of the harness that makes sense of a, a little bit of what we're going through. And just a little bit gives us a peace of mind. Maybe I can get through this because if I'm looking around and going, if everything is just going wrong, what's the one thing I can hold on to that, that might let me get through this year? Just to seek a little bit of peace. 
And so I really, I want you to think about this for a moment, because when we talk about peace, it's going to mean so much more to us. And I believe by God's grace, we have moments in life where we're forced to examine what we're seeking peace in so that we can realize there is a greater peace than anything that's going on in our surroundings. And so I want you to think about just for a moment, what's the harness? What is the thing that you hold on to that you think to yourself, at least I have this. This gives me a little bit of peace of mind in a trying and uncertain and fearful and angry, maybe confusing time that feels like we're on an absolute roller coaster and things are changing at every moment. What do you grab hold of? Think about it. Because it will make the difference in you understanding, us understanding together and celebrating what this season is all about and it affecting our life and the way that we move forward and the peace that we actually live in. And here's the thing that I think adds some complexity to that question of what we seek peace to in the midst of unrest. And here it is. It's that most of us, if we're honest... If we're really thinking about what is the harness, what's the thing that I really seek for a peace of mind in life, for most of us, we would have to admit that we are prone to grab hold of things that themselves are pretty fragile. That themselves don't necessarily, uh, they're not uh, set in stone, they're not unchanging, they're not certain. We can lose them at any moment, and that means that they don't really give us that much peace at all. I mean, think about my roller coaster ride, right? The one thing that I'm grabbing hold of for peace is really the one thing I'm worried about going wrong. If the harness comes loose, that's where I'm going, what do I have? And then I'm holding on to the one thing I could lose. And see, that's how unrest and anxiety and lack of peace work in our lives. It's when our harness, the thing that we grab hold of, to think this will give me a little bit of peace of mind, is something so fragile we could lose it. And typically, our, our deepest unrest and lack of peace comes in the things that we're seeking peace in, but cannot give us the peace we long for. And so I want us to think about what am I grabbing hold of? Because usually the one thing that we seek peace in, if it's not unchanging, if it's not certain, because we know it is so fragile, it gives us the most anxiety in life. So if you, if you thought to yourself, my family, my relationship, my success, my power, my control, whatever it may be that I look to for a little bit of peace of mind, at least at the end of the day, I have this. If it's fragile and you can lose it, it's causing more anxiety than the things that you worry about not getting or losing. And this is where we find ourselves in the world with a real lack of peace and not even an understanding of what peace actually is. We think to ourselves, and the definition of peace is that everything around us is going good. No problems at all. Tranquility, man. Like that's what peace is, that, that every circumstance in my surroundings are going perfectly and then I'm at peace. And in the world that we live in, that does not exist. And so we have to allow ourselves for a brief moment. I don't want you to think about it too long, right? 
But I do want you to think about it just for a moment. If you were to lose everything in your life, even that one thing that you hold on to, everything went bad. No plan went as you desired. No circumstance was certain. That everything in your life just went bad. What would happen to your peace? What would happen to any peace of mind that you have in this moment? And I know in a sermon at the very beginning where I said, hey, I'm going to give you some good news that will make your heart glad. Like if you're participating, I just gave you a lot of anxiety. And so we're going to get to the good news that will make you glad. But we need to first understand where we are. The struggle that our hearts have to find peace in the world and in our circumstances. And and as we begin to realize that when everything could go wrong, all of our comfort goes wrong, all of our plans go wrong, all of our circumstances go wrong, all of our relationships go wrong, everything in the world goes wrong, that it can totally rip away any peace that we could possibly find in our circumstances just like that then suddenly we start realizing how fragile the peace we seek is. And that reality is what we need to understand. And the world that we live in feels that tension. I don't know if you feel that tension or not. Naturally, I feel that tension. I want to find peace in all sorts of other things. All of my circumstances, I want every, all my ducks in a row, I want everything to line up. I want to control things as much as I possibly can. And I'm seeking that peace in the world, and it can all be ripped away in an instant. And I have to realize that I deal with that tension. And as I look out in the world, I see that the world is also dealing with that tension, a desire for peace and things that are fragile. And I can just tell you with extreme confidence that our nation feels it. Our nation feels it. The American Psychiatric Association took a poll in 2017, and there's a reason I want to start in 2017, but listen to this. It said that two-thirds of Americans say that they struggle with extreme anxiety about their own health, so you can imagine what 2020 has done to that, and the health of their family, which was one-third higher than in 2016. So we've already been seeing a trend in America. America has for a while now been the most anxious, uh, struggling with depression nation on planet Earth. And we're continuing to skyrocket in our anxiousness and in our depression, in our worry and in our anxiety. So so we're seeing that two-thirds of Americans in 2017 said, man, I I struggle with extreme anxiety. It was one-third higher than in 2016. And what that tells to me is, and everything that we've said to this point is, my harness is health. My harness is the health of my family. And therefore, I'm not at peace when I think about what matters to me most because I understand that my health is fragile. I understand that my family's health is fragile. And it doesn't actually give me the peace I want. In fact, I'm looking to it for peace and I'm holding on to it with all that I am to give me a little bit of peace of mind. And the tighter I hold, the more anxious I am. In 2018, the medical news today did a story on Barnes and Noble who did a a study to track uh, the movement and types of books that people were uh, writing and types of books that people were purchasing. And this is what they found out. There was a 25% increase 
over the last year from 2017 to 2018 with books written and purchased on anxiety. This led one publisher to make the greatest probably understatement of 2018 about something so profound. Here's what he said. Uh, We may be living in an anxious nation. And of course, this year, as I said, it has not done anything to help out the progression of us having more peace in our lives, has it not? Like it's just amplified everything that was already taking place. A recent study just showed that in the midst of the pandemic, so the last nine or 10 months, one in four people from the ages of 18 to 24 have had serious thoughts about suicide. A Gallup poll that just came out last week said that that people in America, adults in America, who would claim good mental health in their lives has dropped by almost 10% this year. We're struggling people. Our nation is hurting. We're seeking peace in circumstantial things, and the peace isn't actually there. And the reason that I wanted to start in 2017 is to show us that it's not a pandemic problem. It's a heart issue that we have. And listen to me, 2020 has just been the roller coaster that's paused upside down and revealed that everything can go wrong. That I got to hold on to something that can actually help me get through this. It's just revealed that everything that we're seeking in the world for peace makes us at mercy to our circumstances and our circumstances never bring peace. That's what this year's revealed. And listen, it's getting worse, not better. I don't don't want to get on a a soapbox here, but I will point out something that I feel like I've been noticing. I don't know if you've noticed it too, but for the first time, okay, the first time in our nation's history, as we're going through a crisis, we're not even asking the question. Like this is the first ever truly secular crisis that we've gone through in our nation. We're not even asking the question, what would God have to say and how would he speak into this crisis? We're not seeing people flock to, and I understand that there's a little bit of, uh, of, of thing with the health and the pandemic and everything going on, but we're not seeing, I'm not talking about online engagement, but for the first time in a crisis in our nation's history, we're seeing people leave in droves the family and community of God not come to it for the first time in our nation's history. For the first time, we're going through a crisis, and when you see pastors on major news stations, they're not being asked, hey, where's God in all of this? But but Christianity has been reduced down to a political viewpoint that has nothing to do with the other side. And so everybody in the world is going, well, that's what you think and, and here's the thing that worries me and scares me. The church has been totally fine with that. We're not going to make anything about the gospel anymore. We're just going to make it a moralism type of thing. And so now the decision becomes between moralism and secularism. And guess what? All we're trying to do is change our circumstances. There's no gospel truth anymore. We're not seeking it out. We're not asking the question, where's God? We're not asking, what would the Bible have to say about this? We're not asking even religious leaders what the gospel truth would be in this situation. We're just going, hey, how do we need to make these laws? And how do we get to these laws? And that's all we care about now. 
And that means all we care about is changing our circumstances and our circumstances will never bring peace. That's why we live in a nation that is absolutely confused right now and in despair. And 25% of our 18 to 25 year olds are going, I don't even know. See, but there is good news. There is good news. There's good news that will make our hearts glad. Here it is. You ready? True peace is not found because everything is perfect around you. But true peace is given to us by grace and makes everything perfect inside of you. It makes your heart whole outside of what you do not have because in Christ you have everything. See, this is where true peace is. And, and when we live in the flesh, as we've been talking about in the Fruit of the Spirit series, then, then we're just trying to make our circumstances better. But in Christ, we have his grace. We have his gospel truth. We understand that he did come and live that he did live the life that we couldn't live. He did die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. He did rise from the grave to overcome sin and death. He does promise the power of the Holy Spirit on all who place their faith in him. He does satisfy our souls. And therefore, we can have peace at a soul level, not a circumstantial level. We can know who we are in him and find peace outside of our surroundings. So, so look with me at how we have this. It's just a couple of verses. John 14, starting in verse 25, says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So, you know, we got a little work to do there. 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Listen to this. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My peace I give to you. Everything that I have said, Everything that I am, everything that I have done, I will send a helper to live and dwell in you to those who believe will bring remembrance to the truth and reality of who I am. And therefore, my peace, my righteousness, my love, my compassion, my satisfaction, my oneness with the Father will be on you and in you and live and dwell through you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, my peace will be upon you. All right, so the first thing that he says there in verse 25 is, everything that I've said to you, I've said for this reason. So what in the world has Jesus been talking about? What's he been saying in the book of John? All right, so how has he brought this about? Well, John records for us the life of Jesus, and he does so in a different way, which is so beautiful to make sense of this text than any of the other three Gospels. See, the beauty of John's Gospel is that he doesn't start with baby Jesus in a manger. It's by Luke 2, Matthew. Those are the books that we generally go to at this time of year. But when we look at John in John chapter 1, he doesn't start with baby Jesus in a manger. He begins with Jesus at creation. 
So he tells us that Jesus is God in verse 1 of chapter 1. That he has forever been, that he forever will be, that he is perfect in every way, sovereign and rules and reigns over everything, which gives us a whole lot of perspective when we see baby Jesus in a manger. So John tells us that Jesus was at the very beginning. Listen to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing and anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it. And then go down to verse 14 in John chapter 1, and it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became man to live for us. Baby Jesus in a manger is God. He has been, always will be, and the word became flesh, the truth became flesh. That means everything he said is the things that our souls are hanging on the edge of our seats to hear. Everything he does is an example to everything our souls long to understand. He has been, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory is as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is how John sets up Jesus, which Jesus then echoes in the book. So when he gets to the disciples and goes, hey, everything I've said to you is that you would have the Holy Spirit to come and help you remember that you might have my peace. So what did he actually say? So how do we get this understanding of this, that Jesus, because John starts at the beginning, we can go all the way back and go, this baby Jesus that came in a manger is the Jesus, the Messiah, that the Old Testament prophecy was foretelling of. So everything that we see in the Old Testament of a king that is coming, a Messiah that is coming, a salvation that is coming, in John chapter 1, we see that whoever this Jesus is, is the one that we have longed for and looked for. He is the prince of peace. He's the mighty counselor. He's the one that we've longed for and desired. He's the one in Luke 2, 14, as the angel of the Lord, as we talked about last week, tells the shepherds that he has Come, that a host of of heavenly angels descends on this moment because they're going, hey, this is too big a moment not for us to get in on. They're not going to let one guy come and give that message and rejoice at the reality of the news that was just given. It's too big. So we're going to come in and we're going to sing because God deserves all glory and honor and praise. And he is most to be glorified in everything. And so here's what they sing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace among those in whom he is pleased. Jesus then, and John uh, records this, begins to tell us and display to us what he had come to do. He, he makes it, uh, us aware of who he is and through his work and, and shows us how the power of the Holy Spirit works in him in his work. And so we see in the book of John things like, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
He, he tells the disciples that I am the light of the world and in me there is no darkness. And if you desire to know truth and love and peace and everything that you long for and justice and satisfaction and joy, then, then I am the light that brings you out of the darkness of death. He, he tells them things like that he is the truth that will set them free. That in him, they don't live under the law, but he has come to fulfill the law that they might have life by his grace, that we might rest in the freedom that we have to live in his will, that we might understand that we were created to be known by him and one with him and to live in the way that he has designed us and called us to live. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by me. He tells them that he is God, that he and God the Father are one. He prays for us in John 17 that we would be one with him as he is one with the Father and that we would be one with one another as he is one with the Father. He tells them that he must die so that we, they, could have life while he washes their feet because he is the only God who came to serve He's the only God who understands that I am perfect and I am holy and I am righteous and there's nothing that you can do to make your way to me in your sinfulness. But the only way that you can be saved is if I come to serve, if I come and do the work, if you are saved by my grace. He tells them that he's going to prepare a place for them that for all of eternity, everything will be made new and every tear will be wiped away and peace will be known completely in him. He tells them that he will not leave them as orphans. He will not leave them alone. So when he goes back into his rightful place, he will send the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. And the word became flesh and dwelt among them and sees his glory. And God says, I will send the Spirit to dwell as I have dwelled here and you have walked with me to dwell in you that you may continue to walk in me. He even puts on display the power of the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned, in all of the miracles that he performs. The feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the lame and the blind, walking on water, forgiving sin, raising Lazarus from the dead. All of which, he says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am performing to reveal to you who I am and who God is that we might experience the peace that we have been created to have in him. And that that peace is unshakable. That that peace is eternal. That that peace is based on the work that the God of all creation, who is perfect and holy, has completed on your behalf. It's not a peace that's, that's found in our surroundings, but it's a harness that will not fail. It's unshakable. It's fully satisfying. It's whole. It's complete. It's good. In it, there is no darkness. In it, there is only life. These are the things, he says, I have spoken to you, that in me you can have true peace. And the disciples had to be thinking to themselves, wait a minute, where are you going? Like, we are following you. We're listening to you. Like, how do we know where to go? How do, how do we know what power we go in? How do we know what to do? Like, we have listened to everything that you've said and we've done it. We've followed you everywhere you have gone and, and, and we have gone with you. And if you leave, where are we? We don't know enough. We're constantly, even in chapter 14 of John, they're asking crazy questions that they should already know. 
So they're thinking to themselves, what do you mean you're going to leave? We, we don't know enough. And this is where he says to them, reminds them, as he just did a few verses earlier, that I will send the Spirit, a helper will come. The Holy Spirit will dwell in you. And what will the Holy Spirit do? He will be God inside of us, not just God beside us. And he will teach us all things that he will continue to lead us. He will continue to guide us. He will continue to reveal to us the life that we were created to have in him. And also draw remembrance to everything that he has taught. Which also we don't have time to go there this morning. But gives us a little insight into how scripture was written. And how we can know that this is the word to us from God as they heard from Jesus in his life. But also... That the one who dies for us, that the one who gives us truth, that the one who brings us into community with him, that the one who restores our soul, the one who makes us understand true and actual love, the one who says he is the light of the world, the one who says he is the truth of life, the one who says he is the way, the one who fulfills all that we long for in an everlasting way, the prince of peace, he dwells in us. If we have placed our faith in the fact that Christ has done all of the work for our salvation, then the Spirit of God, His peace, not just a peace, but the peace of the perfect one, the peace of the unchanging one, the peace of the eternal one, dwells in you. You have that kind of community with God. That's why Jesus says, peace I leave with you. Because, yeah, if the Holy Spirit's going to live in me, then I have got a peace that's legit. Like, it's real. He says, this peace I give to you. And then pay attention to these words. I love this. He says, not as just some peace that we would kind of pray for. Like, God, peace on earth, please. He makes it so personal. See, that's included in this, but this is actually so personal. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. See, it's not about our circumstances. God, just give us peace and everything around us. Just make tranquility. Just make everything okay. And just make all of our circumstances really, really good. That's not what Jesus promises is his peace. What he says is, I transform your heart. I make you new. I give you new life. I give you new identity. I give you new purpose. I give you new will. So Jesus says, I didn't come so that you could grasp hold of fragile things and then just pray that I would do whatever you want me to do to make your circumstances good. But I came to save you and fill you with a peace that only I have. Not a peace of your circumstances, but a better peace, a peace of the heart. And that's a different kind of peace, is it not? God, it is such a radically different kind of peace. It's an upside-down operating system for our lives. As we usually look out at everything and go, where's, where's my joy? Where's my happiness? Where's my satisfaction? How, do I have peace? What harness can I hold on to? 
Man, this thing's fragile too. But what Jesus is saying is, this is a whole upside down kind of thing because in me, my kingdom comes to live and dwell in you that it might be revealed through you and you don't have to look at the things of the world and try to build your kingdom and add me into it. But I give you a whole new kingdom. I give you a whole new heart. I give you a whole new life. I give you a whole new peace that's beyond understanding because it's not of this world. See, the world tries to give us peace. It tries to give us peace in so many different ways. We have health insurance, which is a good thing that gives us a little bit of peace. We have retirement plans. We have gated communities. We have governments. We have vacations that we can go on. We have, after long days, little things that we like to go to. A little bit of chocolate, a little bit of coffee, whatever it may be. Just from from the ground up, we have these things in the world that, that we try to hold on to just to give us a little bit of peace. And these things can counterfeit a peace in our lives as we can lose sight of everything in our surroundings and just hold on tight to something. And for the moment that it's there, we might feel a little peace. But guess what? That peace can't fool your soul. That that peace cannot fool your heart. But the kind of peace that Jesus gives transforms everything. See, the kind of peace that Jesus gives, it cannot be taken away when the gated community is taken away and God calls you to South Sudan to live on his mission field. It's the kind of peace that cannot be taken away when the retirement fund is a little too low or the stock market crashes. It's the kind of peace that cannot be taken away when the government isn't running as smoothly as you want it to or the right person didn't win. And it's not a peace that can be taken away when your health fades. It's not a peace that can be taken away when the person leaves you. It's not a peace that betrays you when the job does. It's not a peace that deserts you when everything in your life turns upside down. Jesus says this is real peace. It's not counterfeit because it's a peace that transforms you from within. See, this peace isn't found in the absence of problems, but in the presence of God. And when we find ourselves in him, There is a peace that surpasses all things. Now, we'll still experience the trials. They'll still be tough. But Jesus says just a few chapters later, chapter 16, verse 33, in the world, you will have tribulation. It will come. But do not fear. I have overcome the world. See, when we lean into God, when we grab hold of what is not fragile but eternal, circumstances might be tough, but they will not steal your joy. In fact, that moment will just reveal that there is a greater joy that you can lean deeper into. And even though the thing that you would hold on to in this life is fragile, you will begin to discover that your peace is not dependent upon that thing, but nothing can affect the peace that you have. And so actually, as you understand that the world is unstable and you lean into what is, you will have a deeper peace even in the things you would typically be anxious in. See, God works in us in this beautiful way, and that is reason to rejoice. He says it in the very next verse that we can rejoice in this reality and this peace. It is a peace that surpasses all things. Now, I just want to say one thing about this other text that I mentioned. Look at Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Jesus ends up, we just ended up with, hey, this is something we can rejoice in. This is how we have the peace that we long for. Then look 
what we see Paul's example in. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. It transforms your life. You can reveal the peace that it only can come from the Lord. It says the Lord is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, giving thanks. Let your requests be made known to God. And listen to this. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we have peace? It's found in Christ. How do we live in that peace? See, we could see this in John chapter 14, but I want us to see an example of how Paul lives this out in Philippians 4. How do we actually live in this peace? Because circumstances will still be bad. How do we live in the reality that Christ has overcome the world and nothing can steal the peace that we have in him no matter what happens? How do we live in that reality? And so Paul echoes where we get this peace in Christ in the first three chapters of the book of Philippians. And then he gives a command says, rejoice in the Lord always. So it's not just a news that allows us to rejoice, but it is a news that commands us to rejoice. And that command of rejoicing will actually help us live in the reality of the peace we have in Christ, no matter what circumstances going on in our lives. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And this is huge for every single one of us as believers. It's something that the gospel does in us. It's a gospel indicative. It gives us the ability, the gift, the gospel, the right to have peace and rejoice in the peace that can only be given to us in Christ. See, when you place your faith in Christ, Christ is yours and you are his. The spirit lives and dwells in you. His peace is your peace. So you're never lacking in peace when you are in Christ Jesus. You might be lacking in the ability to understand it, the ability to live in it, to walk in what God has already given you. That's why Paul says, hey, I'm commanding you, no matter what your circumstances are, to rejoice in the Lord. So he tells us to rejoice in what we know, not how we feel. Because see, in all the circumstances that you face in your life, there's going to be so many times in your life where you're going to be walking around and you're going to be looking at all the circumstances that you are going through and your heart is going to want to freak out. And Paul tells you who you are in Christ and says, no, rejoice in the midst of any circumstance to remind yourself, to preach the gospel to yourself of who you are in him. That you have a certainty of hope, even in a lack of control. So he says, remind ourselves, preach to ourselves the truth, meditate on it, worship him. See, what we worship will determine how we feel peace in our lives. It's not enough just to know God. We must, we must practice it. We must participate in what God has called us to. This is why Paul says in verses 8 and 9 that, that whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is, is true, to, to meditate on these things, to seek out these things. Because the more that we train ourselves in who we are in Christ, the more peace we will feel in him that is already ours. Rejoice in the truth of Christ. It causes us to look up to God first in everything that we are. And then it gives us a filter to see everything around us in which we look at in the world. And so we're looking through the filter of I am, not I need. 
But see, if we don't look to Christ first, then we will fail to rejoice and worship what is right. We will begin to worship our surroundings, and then we will begin to look at our circumstances for contentment, and our peace will fade, and anxiety and worry will rule the day. And see, sometimes we might think that worship is a burden. Oh, I got to worship. I got to do this. God's calling me to do all that. But when we do it out of an understanding of who we are in him, then right worship actually lifts our burdens. It doesn't cause burdens. See, this is what Paul allows us to realize in saying to us, rejoice. Right worship gives us peace. In the midst of anxiety and fear and worry as they creep in, Because we're not just grasping for fragile things to give us some peace of mind. We have our creator. We have his, his peace, his joy, his life, his goodness. See, he says, then we can go to him with thanksgiving in all things. See, a lot of us probably feel like, man, I pray all the time. But I, I, I want you just to investigate. Do you really pray or you just complain? Are you first focused on your circumstances and then going to God? Or are you focused on God and then looking at your circumstances? Because if we're focused on God and then looking at our circumstances, even when anxiety and fear hit, we go to him in thanksgiving because there's a peace that surpasses them. And in the midst of my circumstances that are broken, it's causing me to realize I don't find peace in them, but I find peace in him. And I'm going to him in a deeper and deeper way. So I'm rejoicing in who I am in Christ. And that causes me to go to him with thanksgiving with everything everything that I go to him with. There's a, there's a different way in which we look at everything in life. And therefore, we go to him and rejoice. God, I know that you are good. Help me to feel this peace. Help me to have wisdom and how to walk in the things that I am facing. And he says, when we do that, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. I love this, that will guard your heart. It doesn't just come Like it's not a peace that's just kind of sprinkled on you in a moment. It's always there. And when we go to God in worship and we go to him in thanksgiving because he's the filter in which we see everything in our lives, even when things are going wrong, then there is a peace that actually guards us from anything that would take it from us. That God himself guards our hearts. Crazy, isn't it? God says, trust me, put your faith in me, and you will have peace, my peace. And when you struggle to have that peace, then then come to me, and I will give you more peace. And not only more peace, I will help you understand the peace that you have, and I will guard your heart from things that will come against that peace. How great is our God? How wonderful is our God? Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Father, Prince of Peace. Man, I would call us today, listen to me, if you have not placed your faith in him, if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, your peace is waiting on the other side of placing your faith in all that he's done for you. And for those of us who know and walk in him, our peace is determined on our worship of him, our seeking of him, or desiring of him, are going to him in thanksgiving, knowing that he is good and that in him we have all things.